This morning I was uh, sharing with you just how God deliberately allowed people to go through a conflict. How about that? He led them into the fight and uh, he taught them how to fight. And so whenever we find something in the Bible, which is the first time it's mentioned, always a lot that's significant. So this morning's message I share, I want to pick it up and take it a little further tonight and uh, just pick it up from a different angle. How many of God's challenging us right now, eh? Challenge about change. How many know that God wants you to have an influence with your life? The only way that influence will take place is if you carry the life of God. And so usually what, I, what I've experienced with the majority of Christians is the world saps the life out of them rather than being changed. Now, we know something must be wrong there. And there's always a reason for it. So I'll just have a look in... Uh, um, Let's have a look, see, uh, see if I can find it. In John chapter 17, that's it, John 17. John 17, and this is Jesus' last prayer. And I want to show you something interesting that he said in two of the verses here. And uh, as we look into these verses, I want you to think that God is speaking to you. There's something he wants to challenge you with about standing up in your inner man, standing up in your life in him, standing up so your life can make a difference. So in John chapter 17, We'll read it from verse 14, and we'll read it through to verse uh, 19. Uh, Jesus said this, and this is his last word to his disciples pretty well before he died on the cross. It's quite important words. He says, he's, he's praying now, and so he's talking to his father. And he says, I have given them your word, and the world hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Notice the statement he made. He said, I am not of the world. Now, what on earth does he mean by that? Does he mean he's an alien or something like that? I am not of the world. When he uses the word world, what he's talking about, the world around us is a system. It's an operating system with values. It's an operating system with, uh, with purposes. It, it has a value system. So we could say when we speak of the world, we could say we're just talking about the Hawke's Bay culture or the Hawke's Bay area or the city we live in. And uh, wherever you are, you're part of this world. And Jesus said about himself, he said, I'm not of this world. Or what he's really saying is the world's values and operating principles and lifestyle is not what runs my life. When he says, I'm not of this world, what he's saying is the world tries to pressure people to live a certain way, to think a certain way, to hold on to certain values, and it promises them fulfillment, but actually leads them and entices them into bondage. He said, I have nothing to do with that system. The system of values which runs the world, the system of values that the community thinks so highly of, he said, I have nothing to do with those values. My life runs on a different set of values. I run on the kingdom of heaven's priorities, the kingdom of heaven's values, a life that comes from my Father in heaven. I was talking with someone today, and uh, as I began to talk, they began to weep, and just in a few moments, the Lord was able to help me see what the source of the problem was. And it, very quickly, it worked out quite quickly. The person had a word from God and a direction from God, but it brought them into conflict with the value system of their family. And so this person was caught between wanting really the approval and to please family and yet wanting to do something that would please God. And so they were caught between pleasing God and fulfilling what God had and holding on to the values God had for them, and yet trying to also feel the need to please family and fulfill the family values. And, and, and I helped her just to understand. I said, this is what your conflict is. You just have to come to grips that actually your value system is different and you don't need your family approval. 
while you want their approval, you'll compromise. Why don't you just decide, I'm going to live my life to get God's approval. And then it'll solve the internal conflict you have. So she was caught between a set of values and a kingdom set of values. All of you are going to face the same challenge. When you go out that door and begin to live in the community, you will face and experience the pressure of the value system of the world. It'll come through marketing. It'll come through purchasing. It'll come through the advertising media. You have to have this to be happy. You have to have this to be happy. You have to do this. In fact, there'll be a constant pressure on you to yield to that world. The question is, and I want you to see something. Jesus said, said, my disciples are not of that world. I'm not of that world. And then he said, he said, and now I'm praying, Father, you don't take them out of the world. In other words, he's saying, I don't want believers, I don't want Christians to separate, isolate, and draw themselves back from the world they live in. In fact, he says, let's just read it here. I want you to see it very clearly. The amazing thing that Jesus is saying here. So number one, he says that my disciples and myself do not operate according to the values of this world system. He said, I pray that you'd not take them out of the world, but you'd keep them from evil. Now, here's what one of the problems is for many believers. And it's okay to do it in your initial stage while you're getting established in your Christian life. But you have to understand this. God's plan is to send you into the world. He wants to send you into the world. He wants you to have an influence and an impact that changes the environment you're in. He wants you to have that kind of influence. So notice what he says in three statements. Number one, their whole operating system in following Christ is different. Number two, I don't want you to take them out of the world. I don't want them to withdraw from society. In the uh, Middle Ages, of course, the whole system of monasteries came into being, and with that, the church retreated from the world and left the world going to the Dark Ages. We're not to retreat from the world. We're to engage in the world and have an influence in that community. The Bible's full of people who did that. Joseph was a man who did that. Uh, the, the disciples, the apostles were men who did that. They literally turned the world upside down. How could they do it? They had something inside them burning brighter, burning stronger. They had the life of God, and they had a mission and a purpose to live. Notice what Jesus says to them. He says, this is what he says in his prayer. Father, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world as well. So you see here, Jesus' plan, having come into the world and turned it upside down, the next thing is he says, now... I'm going to put my life into my disciples and I want them to go and turn the world upside down. You can't turn the world upside down if you operate on the same principles. You can't change something by being the same as it. You have to be different. The problem is we don't want to be different. And yet, if we're going to have an influence, you have to be different. Have to be different in your values. Have to be different in the life you carry. We need to actually carry the life of God within us. We need to build an inward life that's stronger than what's outside of us. So what's in us will overcome what's outside us. So what's in us has the prevailing influence. When you look at the life of Jesus, you find no matter where he went, he always had a prevailing influence. Somehow he stood out. Somehow by his words and actions, he seemed to affect and influence everyone. It was not just the fact that the Holy Ghost was on him. Actually, it was the inner life he lived. His life, his words, his values, everything challenged the life of those around them. He never tried to rescue anyone. He just spoke to them and declared kingdom values. When he gave his Sermon on the Mount, he began to talk about the values that make life work. This is how life works. Absolutely unashamed. The problem we have 
when we look in the Western church, is large numbers of people, for the most part, are very not different to the world. We want to look like it, talk like it, act like it. And yet God wants us to have something inside us. It's not the external, it's the internal. What do you carry on the inside? Do you carry a fire burning? Do you carry a passion? Do you carry a purpose in your heart? Do you carry a relationship with God? What do you carry on the inside? When a bit of heat and pressure comes on, what comes up inside you? Is the life of God rise up in you or is there nothing? You just collapse and fold. Think about it. This is what Jesus said in in John chapter 15. He said, you're my friends if you do what I command you. It's a weird statement, isn't it? You're my friends only if you do what I tell you. Now, what he's really saying is this. You can only be, have genuine friendships with me if you trust me, if you trust who I am, if you trust my character, if you trust my reliability. And if you trust me, then what I tell you, you're going to flow with it. You're going to walk in that because you'll know it can be relied on. When's the last time God spoke to you? What have you done with what God said? When's the last time God said something to you and you said, get her right away? When's the last time God spoke into your heart and said, I want you to do this, or I want you to do that, or whatever? When did God last do that? You see, how did you respond? Well, often, if we be honest, there's a wrestling goes on because we kind of have our own ideas and and we want to do what pleases God. And there's a wrestle goes on. I want to show you such a man. who This man was called to be a king. He was actually called to change a nation. And yet, when we look at him, he's a spectacular failure. And we look at him and think, well, the first thing you look at when we look at this guy, King Saul, is I could never be like him. That <laughs> wouldn't be me. But King Saul, let's have a look at him. 1 Samuel chapter 15. How many know you wouldn't identify with Saul? Huh? How many would not identify with King Saul? If you're looking for a model in the Bible, you wouldn't choose him, would you, eh? He didn't come to a very good end. Started off okay, but didn't end up so well. So we would hardly choose him as your role model, would you? You're not the kind of guy that you'd choose. But he was head and shoulders above everyone. He was tall, good-looking, had uh, quite a bit of influence. Everyone knew him. They recognized him because he's such a tall, good-looking guy. Now let's read the first three verses of 1 Samuel. 1, 1 Samuel 15. Samuel said to Saul... The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now listen to the voice of the Lord. Now this is what the Lord of hosts said. I want to punish Amalek for what it did to Israel. He ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites. Utterly destroy all that they have. Don't spare them. Kill both man and woman, infant, nursing, child, oxen, sheep, camel, donkey, everything. So how did he go? And so verse, verse 7. He attacked the Amalekites. Great. Looks good, doesn't it? And he attacked them all the way right across that whole area there. Then verse 8. But he took the king, Agag, of the king of the Amalekites. He took him alive. And he destroyed all the people with the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs. Everything that was good, they were willing to destroy it. But everything they despised and that was worthless, that they destroyed. I want us to just have a look at that. And just pick up some things there. First of all, the thing you see about Saul was, Saul had a call of God on his life. God called him, just like he's called you. And what did he call him to be? He called him to be a king. He called him to stand in the place of God on the earth as an ambassador and have an influence to shape a nation. 
Now, every one of us, the Bible says, are called into that kingly role. All of us are called both to worship God and engage Him intimately with Him. And we're also called to have an influence. You're called to bring the presence of God, the life of God, the values of God into the community, into wherever we are, whatever that is. So you are a king. You have a realm of influence. You have a place God called you. God's put you in a school. That's your place of influence. Put you in community somewhere. That's your place of influence. In that area, you represent God. You have a domain of influence where you can and must bring the influence of God from heaven to earth. Okay, so he was a king and he was anointed. Notice the power of the Holy Spirit was on him. He was given enough to get the job done. If you are a believer, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, then you have enough to get the job done. You have something God wants you to do. You have an area God wants you to influence. So what, ha- what next? He said, now God gives him an assignment. Now what you need to understand is that the assignment that God gave him is only really an opportunity to prove what he's made of. In other words, God graduates us to greatness. You only want to be great with your life, eh? You don't want to have a great life. You want to be significant. You want it to count. But it starts off in little things. And so the Bible says, you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in big things. So God gave him an assignment. So here we have a man, he's anointed with king, he's given a position by God, a role by God, a function by God, been positioned by God, he's got the anointing of the Holy Spirit on his life, got the power of God to enable him to do the task, and he's got a clear assignment. Here's the assignment, go get rid of the Amalekites. Why get rid of the Amalekites? Well, God hated them. Why did God hate them? Well, they were a murderous bunch of people, And they came in and they attacked the people of God continually and they attacked the weak, they attacked the lame, they attacked the people who were straggling. The word Amalekite literally comes from a word meaning to empty you out of spiritual life, to take away from you the life of God. The Amalekites were descendants of Esau who despised the blessing that only God could give. And so the Amalekites represent a demonic power that comes against any believer, and it wants to do a number of things. It wants to drain you of spiritual life. It wants you to despise what God's called you to be blessed in. It wants you to despise and to trade away the inheritance God has given you as a young man of God, young woman of God, to trade it all away for a one-night relationship or a night in a pub or some kind of thing like that. That's what that spirit tries. It wants you to trade off, compromise away from the Word of God, away from what God called you to do with your life. What are you going to do with that? Now, everyone faces that. Everyone, every week, faces some pressures in some of those areas. And so what God said to him is, I want you to go down there and deal with it. Now, what did he actually do? And I want to show you what shows up in his life. Because when you look at what shows up in his life, you realize, oh, man, I could probably do that. So the Amalekites are destiny thieves. It's a demonic power comes against you to steal your future. God wants you to have a future wants you to have a hope, wants you to plan and dream, wants you to see possible things that he could accomplish through you. Here's the thing that God wanted to do. God wanted to change a whole nation. God wanted to bring revival to a whole nation. And, and, and Saul was given a little step. He was given a simple step, something simple to do. Go and deal with that issue. I wonder how many times God has spoken to you and told you to deal with an issue. Something's happening in your life, and God's saying, I want you to deal. I want you to face it and to deal with it now. And I don't want you to reason it out. I want you just to go and address this issue. Maybe in your, your personal life, it may be in your finances, maybe in your work area, maybe in a relationship somewhere. There's something that God is saying, I want you to deal with it. Now, this is what he did. You see, he set himself up as a judge. 
He set himself up as a judge. He said, well, I'll work out what I really want to do, what I don't want to do. So you notice what he did. He got rid of the things that were obviously bad, but the king, the prince spirit behind the whole deal, he never dealt with. In fact, he spared him. They can imagine him doing that. He spared the source of all the problems. He, ne- he just dealt with a little bit of stuff, but he never really went to the core of it. He actually never dealt with the root of the problem. Sometimes people come up in an altar call, I want to be prayed for and blessed, and that's absolutely wonderful. But you know, you have to deal with the root of your problems. You have to deal with the root issues in your life. And sometimes the root issues are really issues of the heart, issues of what we believe, issues of offense, issues of bitterness, issues of injustice. God wants you to deal with that stuff. Go right to the root of it. Get to the core of it. Deal with the core of it. Don't leave it alive. You know, with weeds, you, you deal with a, a weed, you pull the thing off and get the leaves off, looks good, but another couple of weeks later, it's grown up again, got even worse. And bitterness is like that, hate's like that, offenses are like that, things that get in our heart, envy's like that, jealousy's like that, pride's like that, you get a little bit in your heart, begins to grow and flourish. God wants you to deal with it. I wonder what God is calling you to deal with in your life that stands between you and having a great future with God. I wonder what issue in your life so affects you that if you could deal with it, you would immediately enlarge in your capacity. Maybe it's an issue related to education. Maybe it's an issue related to a relationship with your parents. Well, it doesn't really matter what it is. Most people would know if I was to ask you, what is it God's calling you to face and deal with now? Most people could say, I know exactly what it is. That's your Amalekite. Now, here's the thing about that Amalekite king. He spared that king. And when he spared that king... He had no idea of the consequences of not dealing with something God wanted him to deal with. When you begin to follow through the whole story, we find later on a number of things happen with these Amalekites. But let me just follow through this part here. I want to show you how he handles it, and then I'll show you just briefly the consequence uh, in the, of what happened by not addressing the issue. So anyway, he has his little wee thing. So what he decides is, well, I'll just, I'll just leave that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to deal with that root in my life. I don't want to deal with that. So I spare it. And so, of course, now what happens is, in verse 11, God says, I'm really sorry I set Saul as king. He's turned back from following me. I used to ask you, are you following Jesus? Everyone says, yeah, I'm following Jesus. I'm pleasing. But, you know, following Jesus means listening to what he has to say and working with him. Flowing with the Holy Spirit, flowing with the directions of God, learning to live your life out of the Word of God. That's what it means to follow the Lord. God doesn't call us into a church. He calls us into a relationship. He calls us primarily to be followers of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus means He's talking with you, you're talking with Him, He's instructing you, you're following the directions, you're walking with Him. That's what it means. And so and he says, I'm really sorry I set this guy in because he didn't do what I wanted him to do. And so now let's have a look and go back. Let's have a look at what happens. Now notice this guy, Agag, his name means to dominate. So Agag, the king, is the thing that dominates your life, that seeks to overwhelm you, seeks to rule your life, seeks to get on top of you. You've got to make a decision whether to deal with it or not. Will I deal with it or not? So he comes back. And notice what happens. Samuel went out to Saul. And Saul said to him, oh, bless you. And all. I've actually done what God wanted. And Samuel says, oh, how come I hear the bleating? Now, when you follow through now, you're going to begin to see how he responded. Now, I want to ask you this. Most of us would not, we would not identify with Saul because we tend to recognize him as someone who didn't do so good, who fell over and wheels fell off him and came to a bad end. Most of us don't identify with him in any kind of way. But I want you to have a look at the characteristics that showed up in his life. And I want to ask you this. Are these characteristics present in your life? 
uh, these things operate in your life. And I want you to see just about a half a dozen of them that, that show up in his life. And so here they are. We'll go through a few of them first of all. So the first thing we see is compromise. He was told to deal with this root issue and he didn't deal with it. In other words, what he did was he spared Agag. I wonder if there's anything you've spared. Just couldn't bring yourself to deal with the issue. Couldn't bring yourself to deal with the thing in your heart you needed to face or the thing in your life you needed to face. And so you try to come to some kind of compromise arrangement. Would you do that? I don't think you would. I'm sure you wouldn't do that. But that's what he did. Then the next thing he did, you notice the second thing he did, verse 12, he says he went up to Carmel and he set himself up a monument. So the next thing he had a bit of an ego trip. He wouldn't have an ego trip and say, you know, project out how good you are and how well you're doing or put on a front and look good for everyone. But he set up a monument to himself. Imagine doing that. This is where I got the victory. He hadn't got any victory at all. He actually hadn't done the key thing he was supposed to do. Never dealt with the root of it. Then the next thing he comes back and he enters into a whole process of denial. Well, I've done what I was supposed to do. But he said, I've done it. You wouldn't do that, would you? He wouldn't say, well, I've done something when you hadn't done it at all. You notice what God required him to do is deal with the root. You deal with the whole thing. He didn't want to do that. What about you? Do you deal with issues or do you say, well, I've done it. You know, kind of done my room and half it's all messy, done the dishes and half of them are still on the bench. He wouldn't do that, would you? He did that, though. So he denied. Notice whatever. Then when he was challenged, he said, well, how come about the sheep? Why, if you killed all the sheep, how come I can still have sheep there? Oh, don't look at me. It wasn't me. It was the people did that. It wasn't my fault. I didn't do that. You wouldn't blame shift, would you? You wouldn't pass the blame to someone else and say, that's not my job, not my problem. The people did it. Someone else did it. My brother did it. My father did it. My mother. It was someone else's responsibility. So he passed the blame. What do you know? He would not take responsibility for the life he led, for his actions. What about something else he did here? Well, he said, here it is. He said, verse 20. Well, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I went on the mission. The Lord sent me. And I brought back Agag, the king of Amalekite. I've destroyed the Amalekites. That's the people. There he is blaming again. Well, we're going to, now it gets all religious. Well, we want to give something to the Lord, you know. So, you know, we just want to give a bit of an offering to the Lord. So we brought some of the sheep back. Now, God was saying to him, I want you to deal with it all. In those days, the Amalekites, they were a cult. They were nomadic people, but they were also deeply in the occult. And many of them were shapeshifters. Who could change into animals? So he said, you've got to deal with everything. You've got to deal with everything. There's no room for anyone to escape. You've got to deal with the lot. He said, I want to deal with this thing and get rid of this blight on the earth because it's full of the occult, it's full of destruction, and its purpose is to destroy my people. I've got to get rid of this thing. Now, of course, we live in a day now where we don't have to kill things off. We can just reach out with the blood of Jesus. People get cleansed by the blood of Jesus. be set free from their sin. But these people were steeped in the occult and knew how to change their shape, and they could become just like an animal. And so they could escape. So he said, you've got to deal with everything, everything. Nothing escapes. So, of course, you notice he spared the sheep and the ox and the cattle. He shared everything good, and he's even shared the king. He actually hasn't done the job at all. He's left a whole huge compromise, denied and covered up, blamed everyone else and whatever. And, of course, he says, well, you know, I was afraid of the people. Verse uh, 24, he says, I was afraid of the people. I did what they say. Fear of man will cause us to do all kinds of things. Fear will lead you to be under control, fearing what people would think, fearing what people would do. And so God says to him, you know something? You haven't really done what I wanted you to do. It's going to cost you, this is. Notice the next thing he does. Notice what he says now. Well, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, well, now please pardon my sin and come back that I may worship the Lord. He was concerned about appearances, about looking good. 
He was more concerned with how he looked with his image in front of people than he was with whether his heart was right before God, whether he'd done the right thing. Now, would you know someone who has those traits? Compromise and, and uh, you know, then, and they kind of work out what they'll do, what they won't do, and just do their own thing in the end of it all. Or, you know, they justify their actions and blame shift and excuse and cover up and pretend they've done what they're supposed to do and haven't done any of those things. They've got a bit of an ego trip going on and got an image thing and trying to look good, trying to present themselves. Those are the traits that showed up within the character. Now, here's the thing. Get this. It was the lack of internal development of his life with God that led to his downfall. All that happened was, because he wasn't developed with God, when he went out to change the world, the world manifested what was in him. It cost him deeply. And so what you find happens is a number of things happen. Let me just share with you just a couple of them that happen, and uh, quite, quite, a, uh, quite a heartache, really. But if you follow in the Bible what happened to him, the first thing was he lost his standing. He lost his capacity to represent God the way he had. Second thing is, he lost the anointing, the presence of God around his life. Third thing was, he opened his life to a tormenting spirit. He became tormented in his mind and insecure and jealous and envious. And then finally, he committed suicide. He died in a battle. Now, here's the interesting thing. What about these Amalekites that he didn't deal with? Samuel brought Agag there and slew him right there on the spot. But when you look in other parts of the Bible, you find there were survivors. And the survivors caused immense amounts of trouble. If you read through the books in the Bible, you find, for example, David. David nearly lost his life. Now, why did he nearly lose his life? Because the Amalekites come in, destroyed his city, took away his wife, took away his finances, stole his family, stole his finances, stole his credibility as a leader, took everything out, and he nearly died as a result of that. But David had something going for him that Saul didn't. He was strong in the Lord. And when that pressure came on him, 1 Samuel 36, he strengthened himself in God. He held the promise of God, held the word of God, engaged with the presence of the Spirit of God, and came out with a strategy how to make it through. What about Saul? Well, when you read the Bible, you find out actually an Amalekite took Saul's crown and took his amulet. So his crown was taken. And through the Bible, you find these Amalekites keep popping up. And every time they pop up, they always cause trouble. They steal and rob and plunder. They took the finances. They took the families. They brought people into bondage. All because one man refused to deal with an issue God said to deal with. It's amazing when you see the consequences of it. What happened to Saul? His sons died. His family died. He lost everything as a result of failing in his character to make a stand in his walk in the world. What an amazing thing. What an amazing challenge. Now, here's the great news, is God works to raise us up so we can stand. David, when the heat came on him, the Amalekites came against him, this is what he did. He stood firm, strengthened himself in God, got a strategy from God, and then went out and took them all on, beat them all up, got everything back and got more back. Fantastic. In the New Testament, pressure came against the disciples and they failed. But Jesus said, I've already prayed. I prayed that your faith will hold on. And even if you fell over, even if you compromised, even if you failed, I want you to get back up again. I want you to get hold of me again. And I will send you out to change the world. Jesus said to his disciples, they're not of the world. They've got a different internal value system. Kingdom life 
kingdom values. The kingdom of heaven is inside them. They have a vital relationship, and this is what's going to happen. I'm going to send them out to change the world. You're here because they didn't fail. You're here because they succeeded. When you look at the disciples, they went out in all these different nations. All but John gave up their life for Christ. All but John stood firm right to the very end. All but John stood right out, and, and every one of them gave up their life, some of them in horrendous ways. But you know something? They overcame because today there's a legacy everywhere in the world of what those 12 men did. Think about that. God always gives us a second chance, always gives us another opportunity. Steps of a good man are ordered by the law. He'll lift you up. What that story in the Old Testament about Saul is about is this. It's about showing us the importance of developing an inward life to match a character that will match the call of God in your life. You may have a desire to be a great person. You may have a desire to accomplish great things. You need to dream that that'll happen. You need to have dreams in your heart. Rise up inside with dream of great things for God. But here's the thing to do. Develop the life within that can contain it and hold it. If you haven't got a strong life inside, when the pressure comes, you won't hold it. Have a look at the rock stars. What happens when fame comes? They don't hold their life together. They fall over completely. I've been with them. I've ministered to them. I know exactly what goes on in their world, the insecurity they feel, reading the papers. What are people saying about me? They haven't got inside them the strength to stand when the pressure comes on them and opposition comes on them. Most insecure bunch of people you'd ever meet in the, in your, in the world. And yet, I've noticed a whole group of them as they become established in Christ and strong in character and spirit. They've been able to go out now and actually make a stand and have an influence in the culture. And I wonder if you have an influence that's really positive, that affects people. One of the keys to it is this. Here's one of the keys. Develop a strong life in God and prayer, in engagement and intimacy with God. Develop a strong life in the Word. Begin to build your inward life. Take time to build who you are. If God speaks about issues to deal with, go right to the root of it. Don't just mess around with it. Get right to the root, the core thing that's behind your behavior. What is the core belief that you have? Have you got a deep root and say, get God to help you deal with it? Get it out of your life. Start to build your life on the inside. You listen, if your life is full of rejection, how can you do a great thing for God? You see, your gift is always bigger than your character, so you have to work on your character. As you work on your character, you grow to be the kind of person that can take something bigger. I wonder what you're working on right now. Do you have something in your life that God is working on you right now? You have a dream in your heart of doing something great, of becoming something great. Well, that means you've got to make a change on the inside. What is it God's saying to address and deal with? What is he speaking on your life? Don't just spare it and put it on hold and say, well, I'm doing a right. I'm coming to church on Sunday. Make a decision. You'll deal with that thing in your life. Why don't we just close our eyes right now? The most wonderful things is that Jesus has promised to help us. He said, I'll put my Holy Spirit inside you, and the Holy Spirit will help you to change. He said, I'll sanctify them. I'm going to set my people apart. I'm going to give them my words, and my word in them will change them. Believing the word of God, believing what God says, 